Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn, and 2017 has been a wild ride, and I am so grateful that you have been in this seat with me. I'm thankful for your support. I'm grateful for your encouragement and for your listening to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. And so today I'm going to deliver to you some incredible sound bites from the top five episodes of 2017. So without further ado, Brace for Impact. Coming in at number five is episode 64 featuring the great Lou Holtz. My conversation with Coach Holtz aired in the middle of the year as part of our halftime series, and if you had a chance to listen, you understand that he knows what it takes to lead, and he knows what it takes to win. As you will be reminded of in a moment, there are three powerful keys to motivation, belief, choices, and dreams. There's only two things that a coach or any leader can fix for you or help you with, and those are, number one, your belief in yourself, and number two, your skill set. But if you're not motivated, no one can help you with those first two things. I agree with you. Well, first of all, if somebody's on drugs, you aren't going to be able to help them until he makes that decision. You know, Mike, there are approximately 422,000 words in the English vocabulary. I don't believe any word's more important than the word choice. Wherever you are, good or bad, because the choices you make. You choose to do drugs, drop out of school, join a gang, get tattoos from head to bottom. You're probably choosing to have some difficulty in life. And please stop blaming me for the problems because you happen to make good, bad choices. As I was taught by my parents, and I was born during the Depression in a very poor home. My dad had gone to third grade. And life's a matter of choices. And choices have ramifications that you need to accept that fact. Now, if you're going to make good choices, but everything starts with a dream. You can't do anything with an individual. They talk about motivation. Motivation is getting people to have a desire and want to achieve something and then show them how they could possibly do it. I would have the athletes sit down and say, okay, where do you want to be a year from now? Well, where do you want to be professionally? Where do you want to be socially? Where do you want to be financially? Where do you want to be a year from now, religiously, or anything else that you may possibly put down? Now, once you write that down and answer these questions honestly, what financial price are you willing to pay in order to achieve that? What sacrifice are you willing to make personally in order to achieve that? What skills and talents do you have to acquire in order to achieve that? Who do you have to work with in order to get that done? What problems are you going to have to overcome in order to get that done? And what's your plan to get it done? See, it's not just a wish list. It's looking at things analytically and saying, this is what I want to do. And here are some questions I've got to answer honestly. And the problem is too many of us aren't honest. You know, I may want to be a scratch golfer. What what price am I willing to pay for lessons, et cetera? Uh, how hard am I willing to go out and practice? What skills do I have to learn to drive a better chip? It's not complicated. It's simple. Not only did Coach Holtz succinctly describe the motivation process, but he also precisely highlighted that at the end of the day, the only person responsible for our choices is the man or woman 
staring back at you in the mirror. So as is evidenced by his winning record, he is adept at drawing the very best talent out of people, but he also possesses the ability to lead people to greatness. And while the title of leader is something that may be given to you or I from someone else, true leadership is something that is earned. What are some common characteristics that have helped these men become great leaders on the field as well as off the field? Well, first of all, let's talk about leadership. As Father Hesburgh said, I'm going to announce to the world you're the head football coach of Notre Dame. I'm going to give you that title. I can't name you the leader of the Notre Dame football team. He said titles come from above. The players will determine if you're a leader. If you're a leader, you have a vision where you want to go, plan, you lead by example, you hold people accountable. Coming in at number four is episode 48 featuring Stephen Kotler. Now, Stephen is the best-selling author of books like Rise of Superman, Abundance, Bold, and Stealing Fire. My conversation with Stephen was part of our Disruption series. His core mission is to design a way for you and I to get into a flow state or in the zone where our normal sense of self and time banishes and we are freed from the drudgery of daily life and we possess a sense of effortless motivation and we're able to tap into a level of inspiration that is normally not available to us. Now, I know what you're thinking. This stuff is all hocus pocus garbage. Well, right now, the U.S. government, the Navy SEALs, Apple, Google, and many other Fortune 1,500 companies are heavily invested in creating and developing environments and technology around this concept in an effort to massively uplevel human performance. Now, they're doing that to the tune of $4 trillion. That's a crazy number. Now, one of my favorite parts of my chat with Stephen was when he talked about the importance of having a no longer top of the food chain moment. One thing I just, just for clarification's sake, because I, you know, when I can, I'd like to be accurate. Um, when I said flow or die, I was specifically looking at action adventure sport athletes and the top professionals. And, you know, in, in their situation, right, when you're a professional skier, snowboarder, and you've been helicoptered to the top of, you know, some 60 degree shoot in Alaska with real fatal consequences anywhere, the level of performance required, you have to be in flow to be able to do that. Um, So for those athletes, it is very much flow or die, for sure. Now, what you talked about, though, you got in another idea that I'm fascinated by, and I think it's true, and I think it's one of these things about high performance that people don't like to say out loud because it alienates a huge portion of the audience in a sense. Uh, But I I really do think that anytime you can have a no longer at the top of the food chain moment, anytime you can kind of have high risk, life threatening situations in in, in your world, those are really good things. And I think one of the main reasons they're good, and I think you'll hear this from MMA fighters, boxers, football players, action and adventure sport athletes of any variety, and anybody who kind of works around wildlife or things along those lines or in nature, right, where these kinds of experiences are much more common, it's the exact same thing you're talking about. When you go out, even if it's, you know, you're just skiing with your buddies and you're doing 40 miles an hour through the trees, doesn't really feel all that life-threatening, but you hit a tree at 40 miles an hour, it's life-threatening. 
So you come back to your daily life after that and everything is in perspective. You've actually, your, your brain understands mortal consequences really well and it resets your entire nervous system. Another incredible factoid that Stephen dropped has to do with the feelings of anxiety and excitement. The fact is that the chemicals our brain releases when we feel anxious about something are the same chemicals that are released when we feel excited about something. The difference, however, is how we frame the experience that we're facing, and that frames how we experience the chemicals that have been released in our brain. That was seriously a huge takeaway for me and something I'm very cognizant of today. Now, coming in at number three is Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition. JB actually joined us for episodes 70 and 71, where he talked about purpose. In episode 70, we talked about Precision Nutrition's marketing philosophy and why they have grown to be as successful as they are. It's pretty simple. Give, 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 ask. And if you've ever signed up for one of their programs or one of their newsletters, you know just how much they give away for free. In fact, just recently, they gave away a 70,000-word document that could easily have been turned into a book, which likely would have hit the New York Times bestselling list. But their marketing tactic is to give. One of the most important lessons they learned early on, in addition to their giving philosophy, has to do with scale. Now, scale is another one of those huge buzzwords in the entrepreneurial world. And scale is important. And understanding how to scale is important. Because what happens if you experience the rewards of success before you have the infrastructure behind you to back it up? Now, in Precision's case, they had a huge sale that quickly became their greatest weakness. The proceeds from the sale ended up getting flagged and held by their merchant, and over the course of several months, they sold nearly half a million dollars in product without receiving a single penny. That is enough to potentially sink any company. So here's what JB has to say about giving yourself the opportunity to continue. We saw zero dollars. Nothing came in at all. Obviously, super stressful period. You know, we had to, you know, beg friends and family to help us bridge the gap. It was a really difficult time. But it taught me in particular and, and Phil also the idea that it's 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 so fragile, you know, the ability to to keep doing what you love doing. That something like this, like you're not, not a failure, but a big success could even topple it, right? I mean, if people are still trying to figure out what's going on, we had to fulfill thousands of orders over those six months with no way to pay for the product, right? Like we had to give those people the things that they paid us money for without having received the money. So it was like the money went in this weird black box. We couldn't tell customers, oh, it's our merchant company that's holding it. You'll get it when they release it. Uh, we just had to say, sure, your order's on the way. And then go bite our nails, figure out how we're going to pay for that product to get built and shipped. So uh, I, we call it now the lesson, give yourself the opportunity to continue. So the idea is that at PN now, you know, we're doing much better than what I just described. 
Now, that first episode with JB was so awesome, I had to bring him on again to talk about his approach to goal setting and planning, as well as what drives real behavior change. Now, instead of focusing on specific five-year plans, per se, to achieve X goal or work with X client by X time, JB and his team focused more on being interested in others as opposed to being interesting when everyone else was always being needy, too aspirational, or all about the money and getting paid. I'm a ve- I can become a very uh, focused person, like to a fault. You know, I often say that like some people's greatest superpowers, it's, it's also their greatest kryptonite, right? So mm-hmm. every skill or trait that we have could also become our undoing in the wrong context. So for me, I can be laser focused. Like I could sit at my desk here and probably work for 36 hours straight without eating or taking a break or anything like that. Um, Now, in one context, that's really positive, but in a whole host of others, it would be my undoing. So five-year plans and stuff like that, what would happen is I would get so focused on what I wrote down as a 19-year-old. I'd be like a 28-year-old sitting there sticking to the plan because that's what I do, you know? And I could have missed a whole ton of opportunities. So for me, one was having the soil right, right? It was basically just working hard and being really committed to doing high, high quality work. So that was the first thing. And then I think people notice that. They're like, whoa, in this field, no one's doing the kind of quality work that you guys are doing. That's very interesting. And then people invite you to things and you go to them. And it's not come to this thing so we can see if you're going to be a good fit as a consultant for X company. It's, hey, we like the work that you're doing. We're inviting you to a thing. And you go there and you just be cool. Because again, it's not my goal. I'm not there to secure a contract with whatever company. I'm just there to be a cool person, to see if I can learn something uh, that I can bring back and do good work in my life. And then it just kind of, you find yourself down this path where people are like, all right, well, that guy's not trying to sell me anything. That guy's not trying to like ham-fistedly work his way into our organization. Just being a cool person with a growth mindset, willing to learn. And then you just get random emails out of the blue. You know? So now, if it was your goal to become a consultant for these kind of Fortune 100 companies or whatever, don't take my advice at all. <laughs> you know, this, this may not be good advice, but this is how it happened for me. And, and even though you know, this might not be your scenario, I think there are some nuggets in there for sure. You know, I see people try too hard all the time and trying too hard often is not it's it's again, is it a strength or a weakness? In some contexts, it's a strength. But in this particular context, it's a weakness because these companies have millions of people who, are, who want to work with them for nothing. You know what I mean? They're like, just give me some shoes and let me use your logo. And it's good, you know? Yeah. And um, so if you show up in the same mindset it doesn't work out, right? Because people can feel that. They're, they're used to being around people. They're used to being around people who want something from them. So my whole thing is, I do want something from you, but it's just to learn. Mm-hmm. It's just, just to be present and learn and interact with other cool human beings. It's a whole different mind space to be at. And then again, you know, I think that's why sometimes I'll get a call out of the blue and say, hey, we love your work. We met at this thing. We thought you were super cool and not annoying very much. (laughs) 
I'd love to have you out to just talk about a few ideas, you know, and then leads to long-term relationships. If you're cool, when you go out to those conversations and there's many times I see people screwed up at this stage where they show up and then they're like, Oh, I have to prove that I'm worth being here now. You know, I got my foot in the door. Now I need to impress everyone. And those people never last very long or they get all about the money right away. Hey, time for time for me to get paid, you know? And, uh, and that's a disaster also. So it's just, you know, I, I always find you just have to like, once you've gotten your foot in the door, be less needy than everyone else, less sort of overtly aspirational than everyone else, less, okay, it's time to get paid, you know, less, oh, look at how smart I am. Um, and again, just growth mindset is really the key for me because what it means for those of you listening who haven't heard about some of this research and stuff, it's just about the idea that, uh, I don't know, here's how I think of it. I'm constantly scouring the landscape for interesting people and interesting things to learn, which means I ask like 10 questions to every thing I say as an answer. And so I, I think that's just rare enough that people find it refreshing and it opens a bunch of big doors. One other thing he said is that practice leads to skill and skill leads to goals. This is especially important when it comes to real sustainable behavior chains. Now listen closely to his philosophy about chains and integrating it into your lifestyle as opposed to white knuckling it through life and think about how you can take their philosophy about behavior change and apply it to whatever business or industry or job that you are doing as you try to influence others to make change by your product, etc. Well, you know, one of my favorite analogies here to help people understand what I'm talking about is this old adage that um, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? I mean, essentially what that old adage is saying is that, um, you know, uh, unless people really want to change, unless they want to drink the water, we, have, we can have no impact on their drinking, you know? And I, I disagree, you know? I mean, I, I think you can't physically force someone to drink the water or change. But the one thing that we usually say in response to, you can lead a horse to water but can't make them drink is, yep, that is exactly right. But you can make the horse very, very thirsty. And to me, that's what behavior change is. You can't force anyone or trick anyone or do Jedi mind tricks on people to get them to change. And that's what a lot of young people in any field who learn about NLP or change psychology literature and stuff like that think. They're like, tell me the magic words to get someone who's resistant to change to just change. And while it makes for great online information products and stuff, it's not really how it works. What you can do, though, is you can make people very, very thirsty. You can put them in a position where they decide to change themselves. And that's usually the best we can hope for. You know, at Precision Nutrition, we've coached over 50,000 people now online. And then through our software platform and curriculum platform we created, the coaches that are certified with us have coached like another 100,000. So we, we have now have direct experience with about 150,000 people who want to eat better, look better, feel better, lower their cholesterol scores, 
you know, show up in their lives in a more healthy and engaged way. And um, so I have a little experience with this, you know, <laughs> and, and there's this notion, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's great for you guys, but your clients must be special to be able to do this, you know, there must be something different. The answer is no, of course, they're not different or special. It's that we understand that you, you uh, I, I, I guess a little background in our field would be helpful. You know, in health and fitness, generally, the way to help someone eat better and exercise better is to write them a diet plan. So you're like, hey, here's what you're going to eat from now on. Breakfast, these foods. Lunch, these foods. Dinner, these foods. Then, when you, then you're going to go to the gym four times a week. And when you go to the gym, you're going to do these exercises, this exact amount of sets, this exact amount of reps. So it's a very prescriptive, what we call coach-centered approach. It's, I am an expert in this field. I am a, you know, oracle of higher learning in this space. So you're going to come to me and I'm just going to tell you what to do. Do this, not that. There's even a book called that. <laughs> and, uh, and go do it. And in the, the fitness space, you know, trainers and nutrition coaches have sort of embraced this because, quite frankly, it's the easiest possible way to coach. Not effective. But it's really easy to just write down, I know that eggs or whatever you like for breakfast as a coach helps. So I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you that. There's no dialogue. There's no client at all in this, which is the great irony because clients often ask, well, I want an individualized plan, a personal plan. (laughs) Well, you're not getting anything personal. There's none of you in it at all, right? The coach has told you to eat things that you don't even know if you like. That's not personal in any way, shape, or form. That is the um, identification of a templated, coach-centered kind of approach, right? So at, uh, at Precision Nutrition, our, our take is completely different. You know, how do we engage with a client in a way that recognizes the realities of their life today and help them make changes that will not be project-based, but lifestyle-based? Project-based is, hey, over the next uh, 24 weeks, if you eat this way and exercise this way, you'll get in wicked shape. Now, that may be true, but what do you have to give up to do that? Well, for a lot of people, it may be less time with their family. It may be less commitment and focus on work. It may be that they have certain hobbies that they like to do that they can't do for the next 24 weeks, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why is this Dr. Berardi guy talking crazy talk, though? I'm willing to spend like a few hours a week less with my family and, and a few hours less at work and maybe not do my hobby for 24 weeks if it's going to get me in wicked shape. Herein lies the problem, though. At the end of those 24 weeks, do you want to try your hobby again? Your kids are going to be demanding more time with daddy or mommy. Your work is going to say, hey, it's, you don't seem as focused and committed. So what's going to happen then? Well, what's going to happen is your life will now infiltrate your fitness mission and you won't be doing any of the things or at least the things that got you to the 24-week goal and you're going to backslide or gain weight again or lose your results. And it's just happened so many times to people. And I feel so sad because the fitness industry and the nutrition industry's motto at that point is, uh, well, you fell off the wagon. You did it. You need to take some personal responsibility for your life. If you want this badly enough, you, you would have kept it up. 
but you suck, so you didn't, right? That's, that's the narrative people are getting, and it makes me sad, and in some cases, it breaks my heart when I meet real individuals who actually are so down on themselves because they feel like they have failed. You have to understand the big picture to realize, no, 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 the whole model is the failure. The idea that I'm going to impose something above and beyond your normal life, which is probably already full and busy. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably are ambitious. You probably are growth-minded. You probably are hard-driving. So your life's busy. And then we're going to impose this extra thing on top of it. Where are you going to get the extra time? You're not getting extra time. You have to carve away something else, right? And then at some point, those things that you carved away are going to have to come back. And then you're not going to be able to do the fitness thing the way you just did it for the last 12 or 24 weeks. And then what? Well, then the inevitable is going to happen. You're going to gain weight back. You're going to not be eating well enough again. And then some point down the line, you'll get heavy. You, most people heavier than they were when they started. And then they're going to be like, oh, I have to do the thing that worked again. The 24-week thing. Remember how well that worked for me? And that is the great irony because it didn't work. It worked for 24 weeks, but it didn't work in the long run, which is why you're saying you have to do the 24 weeks again. So when we look at behavior change and change psychology, the idea is how can we build practices and habits into your life that integrate with your real life as it is today? And those are things, skills that you build that you can take with you into the future so that you don't have this orgy of fitness for 24 weeks and then nothing in fitness for some period of time and then feel bad about yourself and then have to do it again. And I mean, that's the definition of the yo-yo dieting experience. And we usually blame the person, but it's not the person, it's the system. Now, coming in at number two is the wild and successful Marie Forleo. Her entrepreneurial journey started on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, bounced around to bartending, choreographing, hip-hop, to launching her digital education company, and ultimately being dubbed by Oprah as a thought leader for the next generation. When I asked her about a mutual friend naming her as one of the most confident people he knows, her response was honest and cut to the core of who she is and why she has achieved the levels of success that she enjoys today. Where does that confidence stem from? It's a great question that I really don't have a good answer to. And the reason I say that is because I don't feel like I am necessarily one of the most confident people. It's interesting that other folks have that perception of me, um, but I don't necessarily walk around thinking like, I'm so great. I just get things done. And if there is a topic or a project or a creative area that I'm interested in, I just want to go for it and figure it out and get involved and see what it's like and see if I enjoy it. And so perhaps that's perceived as confidence, um, but that's the way I've always been. And so I think it actually stems back to that work ethic that we were talking about in the beginning, where you know if there is a challenge or an obstacle or something that needs to get done, the way that I was brought up is just that you attack it, you go figure it out. Like you don't shy away from it, you just dive in. And so it wasn't about, I'm the best or I'm the greatest or I can do anything. It was more about, well, this is just really practical, like you know how we're going to get something done. I love that because I'm really into words and, and confidence is one of my favorite words. And it, 
it literally means um, with faith. So like go with faith. And faith is the absence of doubt, right? And it's not necessarily that you don't have doubts from time to time. It's the fact that you trust your ability to get things done. And yes. there's this this whole this whole psychological study that this this uh, psychologist named Dr. Albert Bandura created called self-efficacy, which is a, basically that if you, you, if you try something and you put in the, the required amount of effort, you're, you believe that you're going to be able to do that and get it done. Is that, is that kind of where you're at? Completely. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's really nothing. For me, it has to be a marriage of two things. You know, if someone were like, oh, you know, why don't you go do this thing then? Like, there has to be an intrinsic, genuine desire in me to move towards a particular project or solve a particular problem. If I have no resonance, you know, I'm not the type of human that's wired. Like if someone just gives me a dare or tries to challenge me to, you know, see whether or not I can rise up to it. If I'm not interested, I'm just not interested. You know, I'm not going to touch it. Not because I'm afraid to fail, but because it's a waste of my time. Totally. And I love that word resonance. And, you know, I'm a musician and and you you com- constantly hear about people using that word. Oh, that doesn't really resonate with me. But they don't think they really understand what that word means. And it literally is something that that causes vibration, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I'm totally into that word because I'm the same way. I started this podcast because I knew that I was called to do it, and I wanted to do it, and I was drawn to it. And there are a lot of people that think that they should do something or start something just because somebody else says that they should do it. Yeah. And I I think that's one of the major problems that we face in society today is that just because you might be good at something doesn't mean it's necessarily good for you. Yeah. And just because you can create or you can start or you can push something out in the world doesn't mean it's the right strategy or that it's a good use of your time. And finally, coming in at number one, drum roll, please. Well, Actually, you're going to have to wait until next week when I play that episode in full. Until next time, I wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Now go make an impact.